Hello and welcome to the Master of Divinity podcast. My name is Michael Coyman, and I'm busy sharing everything I know about the Bible, history, ethics, systematic theology, and practical theology. Our overall goal is to learn what ministers learn as they prepare to serve the church. This is episode 29, and we embark on a new study called John's Jesus. It's billed as a second course in systematic theology, but you'll be forgiven if you imagine it's really about the Bible. Thank you for joining me. And as we begin, I want to read part of John's prologue to you uh, to set the scene, as it were. This is John 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light to all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The purpose of this study is to take a detailed look at John's Jesus. That is the unique picture of Jesus as found in the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John. This is not a Bible study in the traditional sense, and while we will dwell largely in one gospel, it is the person of Jesus, as presented in John, that we seek to highlight. If we used titles, the title of this part would be Unlike the Others. We'll begin with a study in contrast, making some immediate comparisons with the other three Gospels, and highlighting most of the themes that will form the core of this study. Some of these themes, I hope, will seize your imagination, and I hope you trust that we'll return to them before we conclude the fourth episode on this topic. So first, a bit of background on John. We are certain the gospel was written last, or at least around the time that the author of Luke Acts was finishing up. Robert Fortna, who taught at Vassar, uh, gives us a fine summary. The community responsible for John's gospel were bilingual, thinking in both Greek and Hebrew, lived in a city with a large Jewish presence, but felt some sense of alienation from the Jewish mainstream. Fortna suggests they were not far removed from the Galilean world of Jesus, perhaps a small city in nearby Syria. It was likely written in the last 15 years of the first century, and only later given the title Gospel of John, with the precise author unknown. Back to our differences. In John, Jesus speaks no parables and suddenly seems unconcerned with the least of these from Matthew 25. Demons are ignored. There is little or no ethical teaching. Uh, The phrase, the kingdom of God is like, uh, belongs to the other three, the synoptic gospels. And the end times, eschatology, barely rates a mention. The usual suspects, the people who populate Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are mostly missing. That would include zealots, scholars, elders, tax collectors, prostitutes, rich, and poor. 
Rather than perform miracles, in John's gospel, Jesus performs signs. He turns water into wine and raises the dead, signs designed to confirm his unique identity rather than simply being helpful on God's behalf. And the self-emphasis, jarring if you only read the synoptics, appears page after page. Only John heard the declaration, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Instead, uh, we get the more familiar Jesus in Mark chapter 8. I'll read. Uh, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, saying, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them, saying, Tell no one. One of the major themes of this study will be to reconcile the tell no one Jesus with the I am Jesus. Can they be the same person? Is that even an appropriate question, considering Chalcedon, the formulation of fully human and fully divine? And it may be the formulation that gives us the answer, one of emphasis. It might be enough to say that the first Jesus is more human and seemingly less divine, while John's Jesus is decidedly more divine than human. We'll say more about that later. A few more differences to add to our list. If we were to compare manifestos or mission statements, we immediately see a differing sense of Jesus' earthly project. First, we turn to Luke and the extended quote from Isaiah 61, shared in the synagogue at Nazareth, and the incriminating conclusion that today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit has empowered Jesus to initiate a series of reversals, sight to the blind, freedom freedom to the oppressed, uh, getting very close to what seems like a detailed plan. John's answer to Luke's specificity is something else altogether. John's prologue, which I began with, has its own manifesto, its own statement of divine intent, and that intent becomes clear in verse 9 of chapter 1. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. End quote. Two projects, then, and two very different pictures of Jesus. Is it any wonder that the very practical Christians, the liberal Protestants who gave birth to my denomination, the United Church of Canada, tend to pick the former Jesus over the latter? 
To go a step further, one of the leading characteristics of Jesus that gets the most airtime, for me, is Jesus' compassion. It is the way of life we emulate, uh, the idea that guides us. Uh, When Jesus landed and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed the sick. That's from Matthew 14. Tired and hungry from all the demands he faced, Jesus makes one more step to feed the hungry and heal the sick. And this is like catnip to us mainline Protestants. His compassion is something sorely lacking in our world, and so we, as believers, seek to fill it. As Alan Culpepper notes, compassion is not in John's vocabulary and largely absent from the picture of Jesus in John's Gospel. Jesus does not appear surrounded by children in John, nor does he touch people. Only in chapter 20, verse 17, does the word touch appear when Jesus says, don't touch me. His relationships seem to lack the warmth found in the first three Gospels, an observation that prompts Culpepper to say there is a great deal of talk about love in John, but Jesus does not seem to be very loving. The final observation, again from Culpepper, is that John's Jesus is more enigmatic and perhaps incapable of giving a straight answer to even the most simple questions. Even his disciples find him hard to comprehend, which may say more about his disciples, and a bit combative. Take the day. Uh, Philip likely wished he stayed in bed. Uh, Jesus said, uh, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? You will find no such words in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. One of the goals of this study is to help us embrace John's gospel and his picture of Jesus in particular. I may not be off to a good start. In in some ways, this episode serves to underscore the tension that has existed from the first moment that educated people sat down and read their Bibles. The synoptic Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, seems more Christian, taken as an adjective, meaning he's doing what we should be doing and lives as the great example. John's Jesus, on the other hand, seems distant, almost aloof, someone we are less inclined to understand, let alone follow. It might be a case of the Jesus of practice versus the Jesus of belief. Again, this is a theme we'll consider at some length, but for now we can say that the former Jesus takes as his theme, follow me, and the latter from John says, believe in me. Perhaps each Jesus represents a different stage of Christian formation, one for the beginner and one for the mature Christian, but which one? final division that I've hinted at, but not stated, is the contrasting audience for each Jesus. If you remember the dude with the the rainbow uh, wig and the sign that said John 3.16, he made the claim that he had been seen by more people on television than anyone else in history, uh, which of course ended when he went to prison for kidnapping in 1992. 
Um, nevertheless, he is the author of one of the first and greatest memes, the single verse sign pointing the way to possible conversion. So what is it? John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Bear in mind that this is a a red-letter verse, meaning the words come from the mouth of Jesus. He speaks and gives us, really, a gospel within a gospel. Indeed, some claim that this verse is a complete summary of the Christian religion, and it is the emphasis on belief and the contingent nature of that belief that has made this a favorite with evangelical Christians from the beginning. The invitation to give your heart to Jesus by accepting him as your Savior and Lord is tied up in the summary verse, which we all seem to know. Again, for John, it's the Jesus of belief rather than the Jesus of practice. And when this becomes clearer, I hope it becomes easier to embrace the Jesus of being rather than the Jesus of doing. Many of us, it would seem, need to do less doing and practice a little more being. Maybe Jesus in John can help us. As I've already stated, my goal is to present John's Jesus in the best possible light and to get you to embrace him. I hope I've made a start. Thank you for joining me.